If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies, if you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you've got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaken savior. If you've got chains, he is a chain breaker. That song we just sang is basically describing spiritual warfare. All of us at some point, if not multiple places in life, are going to find ourselves in the same place that song's talking about, feeling like we're in bondage to somebody or to something or to something in our past or something in our present. That bondage tends to shape, if we're not careful, our identity, who we understand ourselves to be and where we're not going to go in life, that we need to go in life, where God's calling us to go in life, or it's going to shape us in such a way that we don't find out what God has for us, and we just become enslaved to whatever that is. Some of you I'm talking to this morning, you had things that happened to you in your past, and maybe way back in your past, and you've never been able to get past them because you're in bondage to that. And Jesus comes as the one who is the chain breaker. He comes as the one who steps into our lives to set us free from the things that are holding us back. Remember Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And then Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So the truth that sets us free is Jesus. What He says to us, what He speaks into our lives, who He is in our lives. I want you to see spiritual warfare in action, because if we're going to walk in the freedom that Jesus has for us, we've got to understand the nature of the spiritual conflict, the spiritual warfare we are in. And let me say this, we may say, well, you know, I don't want to be in spiritual warfare. You don't have any choice. When you signed up to follow Jesus and walk with Jesus, you got on the devil's list just like that to be in the part of spiritual warfare. Now, the second thing I'd say to you, if you're a human being, you're in spiritual warfare. You don't even have to choose to follow Jesus to be in spiritual warfare because Satan hates human beings because you were made in the image of God. And so when Satan looks at you, he hates you. When Satan looks at your marriage, he hates your marriage. When Satan looks at your kids, he hates your kids. He's going after your marriage. He's going after your kids. He's going after you. So all of us are caught up in this thing called spiritual warfare. The good news is Jesus has come and stepped into the middle of it. Turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning with verse 21. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning with verse 21. And as you turn there, allow me to set the scene. It takes place in the city of Capernaum. Now Capernaum, not too different from Rocky Mount, had two basic industries, fishing and farming. So if you went through Capernaum, you were going to bump into a lot of farmers and you were going to bump into a lot of fishermen. That was the nature of Capernaum. In the center of Capernaum, as in the, which was the case in many of the cities of Palestine and Galilee of that day, was the synagogue. And that's where this story takes place. Now, the synagogue was the center not only of Jewish worship, but also of Jewish teaching and of Jewish culture and life. 
That's where the folks came together to worship and to hold their identity as the Jewish people. Remember in that day, the Jewish people in Palestine were under the authority of the Roman government and they were fighting to try to keep their culture, to try to keep their language, to try to keep their traditions alive. And the place where that happened was the synagogue. So the folks would gather in the synagogue every Sabbath and multiple times during the week. Any town could have a synagogue as long as it had ten Jewish men who were willing to come together and form a synagogue. The reason it had to be ten guys was those ten guys had responsibility for some of the various aspects of what it took to keep a synagogue together. I love this archaeology stuff, so just bear with me for a moment. In 1981, archaeologists were working in Capernaum, and they uncovered in their dig there a cobblestone flooring of what is believed to be from the first century. And scholars believe that that is the exact synagogue that this story takes place in with Jesus. Uh, I looked at a picture this week of the remains of that synagogue, and interestingly enough, it is about the size of this room. It was not a small little place. It was a pretty large facility. Jesus walks into it on Sunday morning, excuse me, on the Sabbath. It would have been on a Saturday. And he walks in there on the Sabbath, and they would have gone through what would have been part of a Sabbath service. There would have been various songs that would have been sung probably from the Psalter, which is what we have as the book of Psalms. There would have been scriptures that would have been read. There would have been the saying of what they call the hallelujahs. And then the leader, the elected leader of the synagogue, not necessarily what we would call a pastor, but the elected leader of the synagogue would have stood up, and he would have looked at it, and he says, do we have a guest speaker this morning? Is there someone here who is a teacher who would like to speak? That was very traditional. And Jesus stood up and went forward and began to teach. Let's join the story. And they, that is Jesus, Peter, James, John, Andrew, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were all astonished at His teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Notice that sentence. He taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Now notice he uses a plural pronoun. What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. And at once His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, my sermon outline is containing your bulletin back page, and I encourage, if you will, to follow along. Notice what it says in verse 22. When the people heard Jesus teaching, it says that they were astonished. The word literally there means to be knocked 
out of your senses. We would say to be totally blown away. Notice it says that Jesus taught, but not like the scribes. The scribes were the normal teachers in the synagogue. And this is how the scribes would teach. They would stand up and they would say, Dr. So-and-so on this passage of Scripture says this, and Dr. So-and-so over here says this, and this theologian has this idea, and that theologian has that idea, and they would go on throughout their entire presentation quoting from one scribe and one doctor of theology after another. And just a whole lot of really nice things that they were saying all over the place, quoting from one scholar or another. Jesus stands up to teach, and everybody's sitting there expecting Jesus is going to stand up and talk about Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so and this theologian, that theologian. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't quote from anybody. Now, when you're God, you don't have to quote from anybody. And Jesus stands up, and he does a thus saith the Lord. He just begins to teach the scriptures. He doesn't quote anybody. He doesn't reference anybody. He begins to speak with authority. This is what the Word of God says. This is what the Word of God means. And people are sitting there. They see authority in His face. They hear it in His voice. They hear clear, concise teaching from the Word of God, and they haven't heard this in forever. They are astounded by it. It's just like they've been blown away. They don't know how to respond to it. You see, truth always resonates deep inside the hearts of people. People deep inside are thirsting for a clear, concise word from God. And that's what they heard that day, the authority of Jesus. Now, Jesus demonstrates His authority. Notice verse 25. They're in the service. Jesus finishes teaching, getting ready to wrap up His teaching. And some guy didn't ask for anybody's permission, stands up and begins coming forward. And everybody's just sort of sitting there in shock, and this guy begins to yell out, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the Holy One. The whole decorum of the service has been interrupted. Now, I want you to see what Jesus does here. Jesus does not freak out. Somebody messed my presentation up. I brought this great message and all the rest, and this guy stands up and starts hollering. You know, he didn't freak out. Jesus sees this guy who is in bondage, whose bondage has theoretically disrupted the service. <clears throat> and Jesus looks at the guy and he says, verse 25, be silent. That could be translated, translated, be muzzled. Or it can also be translated accurately, shut up. Seriously, in the Greek, it can be translated, shut up. You see, Jesus shut Satan down to open the man up. He stifled the demon who was stifling the man. And catch what happens in the authority that he has as the Son of God. He looked at that guy and what everybody else in the room saw as a disruption, Jesus saw as an opportunity. Can I say this? In the presence of the Lord in church, deliverance is never a disruption. Deliverance from the power of Satan is always what he's got on the agenda. 
what looked like a disruption in the service to Jesus was an opportunity. This guy's standing up. He's got a demon in him. That doesn't disrupt the service. That fits right into my plan. I didn't come here to not have nice kosher worship services. I came here, Jesus says, to deliver people, and it is time for deliverance. And so he looks into that guy, and he tells the demon to shut up, and he sets the man free. Now notice what happened when he sets the guy free, verse 26. It says, the demon comes out convulsing him. The word there means like your stomach is rolling when you're sick. You ever gotten food poisoning? I got a hold of some bad fish right after we first got married. And I got home that evening, and I had no sooner eaten the fish than uh, things started going haywire in my stomach. And my wife and I had only been married about a month. And uh, we were watching the news, and I went upstairs, and I lay down in the bed. And I, I was so sick after a few minutes that I'd had to rally to die. And my wife came up there, and I was laying on the bed, and I was just perspiring profusely, and uh, I had unbuckled my belt, and I was trying to get pressure off my stomach, and my wife thought I was joking with her. And I'm laying there in the bed, and she looked at me, and she started laughing, because she thought, man, this, is, this guy really knows how to put on an act. And I'm laying there in the bed, and I thought, you better about to find now when I start whirling in a minute, this is not an act. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, the explosion happened, and she told me, she said, I don't think I've ever seen anybody get so sick etc. Well, that's the idea here, that when that demon excised from him and came out of him, he was just convulsing. He was a mess. The devil never leaves the scene without kicking and screaming. And I noticed over the years that when the Lord begins to deliver people from bondage, often there's a tremendous struggle that goes on in them, that looks like defeat, but in reality, it is the beginning of victory. Satan goes kicking and screaming out of our lives, but it was the power of God crushing the power of darkness, and Satan was yelling and making his last gasp attempt as Jesus was casting him out. Notice what the folks say in verse 27. They say, this is a new teaching. The word translated new there is a Greek word that you can use to speak of the dew on the grass in the early morning. This is fresh. This is different. This reinvigorates. You see, Jesus not only taught, He backed His teaching up with action. He didn't just walk in there and read scriptures about the power of God. When he came face to face with the power of darkness, he released the power of God and delivered the guy. And you see, when the Bible talks about the power of God, it's not just about coming and less listening to messages about the power of God. It is seeing the power of God in demonstration. He is not just interested in us hearing His Word. He is interested and very concerned and determined that we experience the power of who He is and the power of His Word. The Word spread. And that evening, people were coming from all over the place to get liberation. But follow me on this. It says that they came from all over that night to Jesus to be healed, to have demons cast out. They wanted, they were thirsting for the power of God. But follow me, 
They did not come for religion. They came for Jesus. They did not come for religion. They came for Jesus. These people had had all the religion they could stand and plus some, and they were still in bondage. <clears throat> but they knew that there was something different about Jesus. That Jesus didn't stop with teaching. Jesus didn't stop with talking. That He went to touching, and when He touched, He changed whatever He touched. There was power flowing from Him. Folks, people in our culture today, our society today, they are sick of religion. They don't want religion anymore. That's the reason so many of our churches today are empty because people are not responding to religion, but they will respond to Jesus. They are thirsty for Jesus. They want Jesus. One of the reasons this summer we're going to be going out and telling people about Jesus and going on mission trips together is because if people won't come into our buildings because they think we just got dead religion, we're going to take Jesus to them so they will find the power of God, not necessarily in a building, but out there where they are. Why can't He show up in a house? Why can't He show up in a park? Why can't He show up in a community? We're the ones who try to contain Him to a building and to a time frame. He doesn't work that way. Now notice what happens about identity in this passage. Verses 23 through 26. First of all, oddly enough, Jesus is identified correctly by the demon. You're the Holy One of God. We've sang a lot this morning about the name of Jesus. There is no name that Satan fears any more than the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus sets people free. Now notice the confusion of identity in this passage. The demon says to Jesus, have you come to destroy, plural here, us? You see, what the demon is doing is he is so trying to take over the personality of the man he is possessing that he's trying to confuse this man to think that I don't have any identity apart from this demon. I am who the demon says I am. I do what the demon tells me to do. The demon and I... We're together. In fact, it's very interesting that the preposition that's used here, it says he was with the demon, actually mean, can be translated in. that He was in the demon, the demon was in him. There was a total confusion of identity here. And folks, that's exactly what Satan likes to do. He likes to confuse our identity. We are the addiction. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm just a drunk, or someone say about somebody, they're just a drunk? That's become their identity. They are nothing apart from their battle with alcoholism. I'm a drug user. What's happened with that? I, I have become identified with that. That's become my identity. If somebody asked you in the dead of night, woke you up and said, who are you? What would be your identity? He's totally overtaken the man's identity. And then notice what he does. He tries to pervert the ministry of Jesus. He says, you've come to destroy us. Jesus had come to destroy the power of the demon, but he hadn't come to destroy the man. He had come to deliver the man. And that is Satan's lie. Satan's lie is always that if we follow Jesus and we serve Jesus and we let Jesus have his way in our lives, then man, he's going to just destroy you. He's going to take all our joy away. He's going to take all our fun away. He's going to just make a life a big drag. It's always the lie 
of Satan. You have come to destroy us. He perverts deliverance into looking like it's not deliverance. But it's the exact opposite of deliverance. That's the reason Jesus tells him to shut up. Because you are lying through this man. And notice what happens next in this story. It says, verse 23, that he had this unclean spirit. The word there is, means estrangement from God. And notice where that takes place. It takes place, it says, in their synagogue. There is an indication in the language here that this guy may very well have been a regular attender in the synagogue. He was certainly there in the community. This is what I wonder. Had they gotten used to this guy being in the mess he was in? Had the community gotten used to this guy being in the mess that he was in? He comes in, well, you know, he's got some personality issues going on. This guy's got the spirit in him that speaks out. Just got to keep your distance from this guy. Listen, there's one thing worse than being under satanic oppression and in bondage. It's you get used to being in bondage. You think you were powerless to do anything about being in bondage. And then there's one thing worse than that. Not only have you gotten and accepted the fact that you're in bondage and you think you're powerless to do anything about it, but the folks around you accept you that way and have got accustomed to you being in bondage and they feel like they're powerless to do anything about it. And so they just sort of accept that you're one of those folks who just walks around losing all kind of bondage all the time. And you've accepted that fact. You see, when that guy came down the aisle that day and started shouting and carrying on, everybody looked at that guy, and everybody in the community knew this was a guy that had some kind of issues going on in his life, and they just sort of accepted that, and that was no big deal. He may have been disturbing the service, but they got used to his bondage. He was used to his bondage. But Jesus said the bondage stops right now. And the bondage stops right now because I've got the power that I'm going to exercise to deliver this guy and stop the bondage. And folks, the reason I'm I'm stressing this is one of the reasons we tend to stay in bondage for so long is we have accepted the fact that we got to stay in bondage. And the reason so often people around us stay in bondage is we have accepted that they are in bondage and we don't really think God's got enough power to do anything about it. We feel totally helpless and so we've just sort of accepted it that way. So-and-so is an alcoholic, they're a mess, they've always been that way, they always will be that way. Isn't that a shame? So-and-so is messed up in drugs, they've always been messed up in drugs, always will be messed up in drugs, isn't that a shame? Well, they, you know, everybody else in the family turned out well, but that person, man, they, went, they messed up their life, and they've always just sort of been that way since a kid, and they always will be that way. How many times do we say that, think that? We're accepting bondage at that point. 
And that's not the way Jesus operates. Sometimes we do that as, as, as the, corporately as the body of Christ. We're not careful. That's just the bad part of town. It's always been the bad part of town. People all screwed up. That's where they live. We just keep our distance from them. You see, what Jesus did that day is he looked at that man that everybody else felt powerless to do anything about. He looked at that man that everybody else had gotten comfortable and accepted was in bondage. And Jesus says, it doesn't have to be this way, and it's not going to be this way. And when I get through with this man, people are going to talk about him different. Think about how people started talking about it. Think about how that man started talking about himself. He was no longer the man who was in bondage. At the end of that day, he was the man who had been set free. He was no longer the guy who was under the authority of an evil spirit. He was now the man who was under the authority of Jesus. He was no longer the guy who was all out of control. He was now the guy that Jesus had restored so he could be in control. He was now the guy who had been healed by Jesus. He was now not the guy who was filled with the demon spirit. He was the guy who was filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He was no longer Satan's man, the demon's man. When he walked away from the touch of Jesus, he became known as Jesus' man. You follow what I'm saying? Following that day when that guy walked through town, people didn't look at him anymore and say, there's the guy that's possessed by a demon. They looked at him and they said, there's the guy that got touched by Jesus. There's the guy that got healed by Jesus. There's the guy that got changed by Jesus. There's the guy that belongs to Jesus. There's the guy that got delivered by Jesus. That is Jesus' man. That's what he wants folks to be able to say about you. The people can look at our lives and they can see that we are walking in deliverance. That they can look at our lives and say, that's the person that Jesus touched and Jesus changed and Jesus transformed. That person is a walking testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. That's what our families, our marriages... Instead of looking at him and saying, man, I'm just going to give up on this and I'm going to walk away on this and I, there's just no hope, etc. And everybody stands around and says the same thing. Is that what Jesus says? Does Jesus look at your child or your grandchild and just say they're hopeless and walk away? Maybe you've done that, maybe everybody else has done that, but I can guarantee you there's one person who hadn't done that, and the one who hasn't done that is the only one on the face of the universe and in the universe that matters, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if he hadn't given up, you don't need to give up. Because the power of God can do what only the power of God can do and what no man can do. Listen to those words again. If you've got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he is a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison-shaking Savior. If you've got chains, he, Jesus, is a chain-breaker. we got to get under his authority, in his power, and let him deliver. Let's pray.
Lord, we want to come to you right now. And Father, you know the bondages that many of us could have walked in here with this morning. Lord, we look nice and sound nice and all that, but Lord, you know what's going on inside of us. The fear, the challenges, whatever. Father, we come to you this morning and we're coming to Jesus because Jesus has already come to us. And Lord, we're reaching out to you and asking you, Lord, for that deliverance. We are not beyond it. And Lord, for those of us who've got friends or relatives, Lord, who are in bondage, Lord, we want to just agree in prayer for you to be working your deliverance in them. Lord, help us to walk like this guy walked the rest of that day and the rest of his life as the person that Jesus touched and Jesus changed and Jesus delivered. Our head bows, our eyes closed. In just a moment as we sing a hymn of invitation, I want to invite you to open your heart to the Lord, your mind to the Lord, and just let Him work deliverance in you as He knows He needs to, to just cry out to Him for that touch. I'll be here at the front to pray with any who need me to pray with them. If the Lord's leading you to trust Him as your Savior today and know the deliverance from sin and guilt and shame in a fresh new relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to come. If you sense God's calling you into our church family, I invite you to come. But in these moments of invitation, let's just say to Him, Lord, I am totally open to You for You to deliver me any way You know needs to be. And if you need to be continue prayer for someone who needs His deliverance, then be in prayer. Father, have Your way with us in these moments, we pray in Jesus' name.